0: Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. I
1: think what really happened to Josh Hawley and, and what we're seeing more and more is blacklisting. And with the excuse that he somehow incited the riot that happened at the Capitol.
0: Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Austin Institute's premiere podcast what we can't not talk about all the things that we can't help talking about we are really pleased today to have uh, a very special person for this this podcast Mr. Tom Spence who is the president and publisher of Regnery and in a way he's tightly tied to the title of this podcast many of you may know it's an homage to one of our senior fellows books one of the most important books I have ever read, for sure, very personally formative for me, and that is Jay Budziszewski's What We Can't Not Know. If you haven't read that book, get that book, read that book, then read it again. It's really good. And I suppose I should have started by reminding everyone, if you don't recognize my voice, I'm Dr. Kevin Stewart, Executive Director of the Austin Institute and one of the hosts of this podcast. So all that to say, welcome, Tom, and thanks for making time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, today what we can't not talk about is, of course, the latest issue, the latest up-to-date episode in the long-running series of Cancel Culture, or which you hearken back to perhaps more properly call blacklisting. And that is uh, particularly with the blacklisting from other presses, Simon & Schuster, of Senator Josh Hawley following the events at the Capitol uh, three weeks back And his book was picked up by your press. So I want to just take off from your Wall Street Journal piece about blacklisting. First of all, you you don't like calling it cancel culture and want to go back more to calling it blacklisting. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I would draw a distinction between cancel culture and blacklisting. And I think that blacklisting more accurately describes what's going on here. I would say that cancel culture means that if you transgress, you know, in some against the politically correct norms, then we're going to cancel you and cancel you in everything we can. So if you've got a book, we want to cancel that. If you have a job, we'd like to cancel that and so on. I would say that ostensibly uh, that's what happened to Senator Hawley when Simon and Schuster cancels his book, but I'll get back to that. Blacklisting is, I would argue, based on a person's affiliations, a person's philosophy, you know, whatever, but not some transgression, specific transgression that a person has committed. I could imagine for myself in my own publishing house, Regnery, we would cancel somebody if <laughs> did something really bad, you know, but I think people are pretty quick to do it nowadays. But I think what really happened to Josh Hawley and what we're seeing more and more is blacklisting. And with the excuse that he somehow incited the riot that happened at the Capitol. People, what Senator Hawley did with Senator Cruz and some others was object to the certification of the electoral votes, right? And it was indeed a charged atmosphere. A lot of people very worked up about that, but they were doing something that's been done before by members of Congress and completely within their legal and constitutional rights and role. I don't think it is reasonable to say that Senator Hawley foresaw or even ought to have foreseen the riot that took place after that. I mean, nobody else saw it coming and so what he did might have been more or less prudent i mean you you can argue about how wise it was or not but i think he was identified with a particular political and cultural segment of the country that is not favored among the cultural elites such as the big 5 new york publishers and so this was a convenient excuse to cancel his book and i think there's the reason i would insist on calling it blacklisting is there's no excuse for blacklisting there there can be an excuse for canceling somebody i think it's done way too easily way too quickly but i think it's distinct from blacklisting and then as if to prove my point <laughs> a group of so-called publishing professionals put out a a statement, sort of an open letter to the publishing industry, demanding that nobody who had participated in the Trump administration in any way should ever get a book contract. And that is blacklist. I don't know what else you call that. That's blacklisting.
0: Yeah, thanks. One of the things you're pointing us to here that I think is a crucial point for thought and deliberation is that our sensitivity settings and threshold defaults and all of that sort of thing will be different across different areas of our lives. So you might have a different deliberation about whom you invite to dinner at your home than whose whose article in a journal you read, right? Or, Or even whom you vote for. And you're speaking specifically about where those sensitivity settings are in publishing. and. You point to something really important, that the default settings in publishing a book ought to be pretty wide. In other words, they ought to tolerate a lot more. And part of what's going on here, it seems to me, is implied in your piece, is that we're turning this sort of moralistic purity test knob up really, really high in publishing and that there are dangers, really strident dangers attached to that.
1: Yeah, and we're turning up that moralistic purity knob really high on certain people, right? <laughs> Not everybody, mm-hmm. right? If, uh, if you were to go down the list of books published in the, I don't know, you know, the last year, the last five years of any of the major publishing houses, I, I haven't done this, but I would wager that there'd be, you know, more than a handful of fairly unsavory characters there. <laughs> people that I wouldn't want to invite to my home for dinner, right? But this purity test is being imposed on some people, you know, mainly conservative, broadly defined. I don't think a publisher needs to say, you know, we will publish anything by anybody. That's not reasonable. We don't do that at Regnery. And most publishers have got, you know, certain, I don't know, in some cases, a niche, maybe broader, but you know a mission a particular mission so at regnery our mission is to publish conservative books that can be pretty broadly defined but that's it so we're not going to publish you know a new edition of rules for radicals probably it's just outside our mission we're also not going to publish a book on model train collecting or coin collecting you know we're not going to publish romance novels that's just not what we do a place like simon and schuster or random house though they they publish pretty much everything, all all topics. And yet there are certain topics that they are now staying away from.
0: Yeah, I wonder if memory serves, Simon & Schuster was Rush Limbaugh's publisher. So one wonders, you know, they published him at one point, but now can't bring themselves to publish a United States senator. That seems a strange combination.
1: I th- Yeah. Uh, so about I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, all of the major New York publishers discovered that Regnery was making a lot of money on conservative books. <laughs> and some by, you know, fairly well-known people. I mean, we publish books by celebrities. We publish books by more obscure people. Most of our authors are not famous. One of the authors were getting ready to publish, none other than the great Jay Budziszewski himself, his, <laughs> his book on happinesses. Going to come out in a while. But the New York houses saw that there was a market for these books. And so they reacted in a reasonable way and decided to start publishing themselves. And they all established a conservative imprint Crown Forum, Threshold, Penguin Sentinel, and so on. And that's fine. And so they published people like Mark Levin and Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, all these people. I think what's happening is they're not rushing to publish those people anymore. And I think what's happening is the leadership at those publishing houses is reacting out of fear, fear of the younger employees there. The publishing industry in general has got a pretty strong leftward tilt, and it's also populated by lots of 28-year-olds willing to work for Peanuts. In this glamorous publishing industry, right? And they tend to be a pretty woke crew, and they've been vocal lately. And the corporate leadership of these places is now scared of them. Whether that's a reasonable response or not, I don't know. But they're making these decisions for reasons other than business considerations.
0: Yeah, that brings me to one of the things I wanted to ask about. There are. We've been observing some shifts in the plate tectonics of American politics over the last few years. Some pretty big lurches in some cases that caused earthquakes. And I wonder what the publishing industry parallel is, or if there is any parallel at all, especially as a conservative press. Are you seeing your readership change? Are you seeing your author stable change? How does your publishing work intersect with the major political changes we see going on around us?
1: That's a good question. So yeah, we publish conservative political books for the most part. Some of our books are on the politics of the moment, very current events oriented. Others are much broader kind of cultural books, things like Jay Budeshevsky. We tend to do those in our Regnery Gateway imprint whereas our plain old Regnery imprint is more politics. And yeah, that responds to the market, partly also supply. So I would say that Regnery has published books in the last you know four or five years that no one might have predicted, books making arguments that no one would have expected from Regnery books 20 years ago right? But that's because politics looks very different. No one would have predicted what it looks like today. So yeah, in our deliberations over proposals, you'll often hear somebody say, well, that's some warmed over Reaganism or <laughs> leftover left from the Reagan days, which I, the Reagan days don't seem that long ago to me. <laughs> They're still vivid in my mind. So I'm always a little bit hurt when they say that, but I know what they mean. You know, in some ways, that's ancient history, politically. So we see our market changing. You know, we publish books by Trump allies and that cater to his fans, his followers. We also publish books by people that hate Donald Trump. And so we try to cover, we're open to anything in the broadly defined conservative market. But yeah, our, our books change along with it. What I think is really going to change now, are, yeah, it's a prediction I'm willing to make, I may be wrong, is that we're going to have a much broader selection of authors coming to us because I think the opportunities they find at the New York houses, the big five, are going to be substantially constricted. <laughs> what happened to Senator Hawley is going to happen to others. They they may not cancel a book that's already in the works, but they just won't talk to somebody to begin with. So I think, I think it's going to be good for Regnery. Our joke at the office is, what's bad for America is good for Regnery. <laughs> in this case, I think it's true.
0: Yeah, it does strike me immediately as bad for America and really important for us to hear you talk about the sausage making, the inner workings of publishing houses, because... It affects what arguments people have ready access to. And there, what you're conveying to us is that there are a whole lot of debates, that, of course, that go on behind the scenes and that some of the forces, the woke cancel culture forces have now come to publishing and will are and will continue to have a constricting effect on what kinds of arguments and information are available to people. It seems like to me, the current market is not going to tolerate that. So what you're suggesting is a lot of those people will come to Regnery, and undoubtedly that's true. And those arguments will also wind up on the internet in various forms. And I think one really dangerous part of pulling those two things so far apart in the way that the it sounds like the big New York houses are going to do, it contributes to the crisis of confidence in institutions up and down and all across our society. So people are going to – the reaction to what you're describing, I suspect, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but it's a prediction I'm willing to make, will be that in doing what they're doing – They think they're buttressing their credibility. They are actually cashiering it all.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I basically agree. I mean, I think what it's doing is it's polarizing our society, right? So once upon a time, you know, Random House or someplace like that, just stick with the the field of book publishing, published books for all Americans, right? And not, I mean, book publishing has been a, fairly liberal atmosphere for a long time, but you didn't have to feel that Random House was out to get you, you know, if you were <laughs> a more traditionally minded person. And I think, you know, this is true with newspapers and the rest of the media. People are no longer trusting publishers or, or other media outlets who are not from their own silo. I mean, it's on the left, too. You know, I'm sure lots of left-wingers would not trust anything that Regnery puts out. So, yeah, it's undermining institutions and it's polarizing people pretty badly. I, you know, as happy as I am for all of these best-selling conservative authors to come to Regnery, I think that's not good for the country if, if we're the only ones publishing them.
0: Yeah, And What I'm hoping also is that there are some authors in the Regnery stable who have ideas about what to do about this and that maybe some of those are the arguments you were hinting at that might not have even been heard or at least published by Regnery 20 years ago. I want to go back to that and sort of pick at it a bit and ask, what are some of these new arguments, some of the new ways you see our politics shifting and therefore our political publishing shifting?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the kind of arguments that we're publishing now that you wouldn't have found 20, 30 years ago are things like Josh Hawley's book itself. You know that's a book about the tyranny of big tech, and he is arguing that these five or six tech giants have monopoly power, that monopoly power is bad, and for all kinds of reasons, and more than just economic reasons. And that we should have a pretty robust antitrust stance toward them, and that was not—that's still not Republican orthodoxy. Lots of Republicans don't like that kind of talk. They may not like Facebook, or, you know, or feel that these big tech places are, are pretty one-sided. But still, it's you know, it's the private market; they should be able to do what they want. And that's a new argument—I say, relatively new argument on our side. And now it's a, it's a mainstream opinion in the Republican Party. May, maybe not yet dominant, but that's one kind of, of argument. And in general, oh, you know, betrayed, trade, all of the components of the Trump revolution, you know, call it populist, whatever, in the uh, Republican Party. You wouldn't have found that stuff in, in regnery books 20, 30 years ago. We were opposed in principle to publishing them. It's just that nobody was writing that. Right. So the atmosphere is quite different.
0: Did the arguments start winding their way through the publishing house before, say, 2016? Or are people now, did 2016 open up a space for people to think anew about these questions? Which came first?
1: That's a good question. I would say, I wish I had my colleagues here to consult on this because they might remember things differently than I do, but I think it kind of burst on us all of a sudden in 2016. We didn't really see Trump coming. When our editor in chief, a fellow called Harry Crocker did. But I would say, yeah, the, the big change that I have seen in the, the kinds of proposals we get, the kinds of books we're publishing happened pretty quickly in 2016. Before that, it was you know people like Marco Rubio and George Bush and free trade, free enterprise, arguments that that's the answer to everything. I don't mean to suggest that we have repudiated free enterprise at Regnery by no means. <laughs> but different emphases nowadays.
0: Right. Well with that I want to ask, so that's a you know that's a bit looking back, how did we get to where we are? What's coming? What else have you got? So we've we've talked about Senator Hawley's book coming down the pike and also Jay Budashewski's book on happiness. What what else have you got coming at us?
1: Yeah, we have got some interesting books on the horizon. In this sort of more red meat politics category, we have a couple of books coming out by David Horowitz, who is, you or your listeners may know, you know, at one time radical, who changed his mind dramatically when the Black Panthers murdered a friend of his. Basically, that's the story he tells in Radical Sun. And David Horowitz, I think embodies some of the change I'm talking about now because twenty years ago I guess I would I would have described his policy preferences as pretty standard Republican free enterprise and so on. And he's somebody who embraced the changes that happened in the last four or five years and has you know written some extremely popular books. So he's writing a book that we'll bring out a little later this year, I called "The Enemy Within." that's uh, sort of a dark look at the the radical forces that are growing stronger in the Democratic Party. And then an, another book on race relations. Then, in the more kind of cultural side of things, we have a book coming out by Dan McCarthy, who was the editor, you know, at American conservative, extremely thoughtful fellow just brilliant, a wonderful writer. And that's a book on looking at what they're calling national conservatism. So a very highly intellectual take on the effects of Trumpism in the conservative world. We're publishing a book by Yoram Hazony, who had a book, let's see, last year a year before called The Virtue of Nationalism. And the book he's writing for us is a kind of a rethinking of the roots of conservatism and in particular arguing that conservatism in america and in the sort of english-speaking world is not simply a variety of liberalism conservatism is not simply classical liberalism that it's a tradition that goes back not just to burke but to fortescue and then in the 15th century so it's an, an interesting book. I think these changes that have happened, these sudden and pretty arresting changes that have happened in conservative thought the last five years have caused thoughtful people to re-examine what is conservatism? What, what is this tradition that we think we're a part of and you know, are trying to uphold? And if it can accommodate some of the ideas that we're seeing accommodate now in modern politics, maybe its origins, its history is a little bit different from what we've thought. Pretty interesting books
0: coming. Fascinating. Well, that is very helpful. And I really appreciate your time today. I want to wrap up by saying thank you and tell everyone to keep an eye open for those books. As you can tell, Regnery Press is a good source for arguments that for a long time have been somewhat with the major publishing houses, but now they'll be forbidden. Um, so th- <laughs> right. you guys will be a really hot ticket then. <laughs> Come to Rangary for your forbidden books. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, yeah. Tom. It's uh, it's a delight. And as I say, I when I emailed you about doing this interview, I have long known your name and had a great appreciation because. You and your publishing house, it was Spence back then, introduced me to Jay Budziszewski's works, which led me to the natural law and then to graduate school uh, where I was one of his students. He was my dissertation director. So thank you so much again for your time and really appreciate your work. Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating, and please donate so we can do even more.